This is Doing Good Through Food. I'm Alex Coffin, and today my guest is Solvega Pakshteta. Solvega is founder and director of Mimica, whose company mission is to radically reduce unnecessary waste, starting with the food industry. Solvega describes herself as an industrial designer who had a big idea and started Mimica entirely by accident. Uh, she's won a number of awards, including the MIT Technology Review's Inventor of the Year and the UK James Dyson Award for her work. So Vega, welcome to Doing Good Through Feed. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. I was um, doing lots of research for this, obviously kind of looking into everything I could find about you and sort of what, what's got you to where you are. And obviously it seems like you're you know, obsessed with design from, from as far back as I could see it. But I also, when I was looking way back, I found you, it seemed like you were maybe equally uh, obsessed with Snow Club. Is okay. that... Is that right? I was wondering whether there was ever a point that you might have thought of going in the direction of sort of winter sports and things rather than design. I'm actually not a very good skier. Really? <laughs> I was the treasurer of my university snow club. But okay. um, for me, I really wanted to learn to ski. I actually mm. only started to ski while I was at university. Ah. But um, for me, uh, I wanted to take that kind of committee position because I wanted to learn how to manage a budget. Okay. Um, and it was actually, it proved very useful and actually in terms of applying, when I ended up doing Mimica, um, proved very useful demonstrating when you're applying for grants, yeah. what you're going to spend money on and how to ask for money, because that's what we were doing with the university. Mm -hmm. So actually that skill transferred quite nicely. So Mimica is obviously what I kind of want to talk to you about Mimica and Mimica Touch. And maybe you could... Just explain a bit for the audience what what Mimica Touch is, and you know you said you you had a, a big idea and sort of almost started this by accident. So maybe just how how did it come about? Mm. Um, so I went to study industrial design at uh, Brunel University in London, and uh, the reason why I was interested in design is because I was really interested in people. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually originally wanted to go study psychology, but. Okay. For me, design is applied psychology uh, and the thing that I think that design can achieve is, is solve everyday problems for everyday people and that's the really uh, interesting part that uh, I like to work on. So um, I really was interested in something called inclusive design. So uh, what that means is um, if you make something easy enough for someone with a certain disability to use it, you make it even easier for people without that disability to use it. So it's a really powerful lens through which to just improve everyday objects. So mm -hmm. um, while that was uh, at university, we're we were encouraged to do a year in industry. So between my second and final year, I um, went to work at a, um, like, a um, like a design consultancy firm uh, in London called CCD. And uh, on that 12-month kind of experience, I, I was put on a project for the Guide Dogs of the Blind Association. Yeah. It was a project all about public transportation and mm -hmm. how we could improve that, but actually uh, in the six-month project I had the opportunity most days to interact with our participants of the study, uh, people with visual impairment. So I had the opportunity to basically be really nosy, um, like whatever questions I had about um, you know, how do you match your clothes in the morning and how do you know how much exactly how much tea to put in your milk, which is very important. Yeah. And um, I just had the opportunity to be really nosy and just ask them. So 
uh, I was finding out about all these wonderful gadgets and, and things that um, I realized actually just how able um, people without sight are. They just do things in a different way than you and I might. Um, and they have all these wonderful gadgets to help them do that. But when it came to me asking about how do you know when your food goes off, um, there wasn't anything that they could use and it was actually affecting the choices that they were making about the food that they were eating because um, fresh food is uh, it's a lot more risky in their eyes and, and it, it made them want to buy more kind of pre-packaged kind of um, ready meal processed foods because they just last for so much longer but obviously aren't the healthiest things for you to be mm. eating and um, actually the lack of this like accessible expiry date made them it was affecting their health because of the foods that they were choosing so it was really interesting for me when I made that um, connection because um, that's when I kind of decided when I go back to final year I would look at you know this particular problem so the, this was so the problem came first was this a, a sort I think of the, the problem, problem always you, has to come first well I, I wondered I suppose whether it was something like a kind of a technology or something that you stumbled across and wondered how to apply it but it sounds mm. like it was def it was definitely the problem I think as first. a as a as an industrial designer I think you always I I would always think in terms of like let's solve let's what's the insight you know what's the issue that someone is having and, mm. and how can we solve it how many people are experiencing this problem um, is this is is this a different version of this problem affecting everybody so uh, that's the way that I work anyway and mm -hmm. um, so when I went back to university with this kind of idea of uh, how do we make expiry dates more accessible uh, I, I very quickly realized that it's not just blind people that have issue, uh, issues that uh, with the expiry dates we're all kind of blind to when our food really goes off and which is why we waste so much mm. so I very quickly um, started seeing these incredible numbers about how much food we're throwing away so like 60% of the food that we throw away in the UK is still perfectly edible and if food waste were a country would be the third largest producer of greenhouse gases in the world so, which is, just shows how much uh, gets wasted. Really, they're hard kind of statistics to get your head around aren't yeah, they, and I, these, these things? I just didn't understand how this was happening because that's not how I was raised and I never wasted foods but then as soon as I started seeing the statistics and I was trying to match the people around me to like who is possibly doing all if I, I'm not throwing mm. anything away so who is like mm. so but then as soon as you are aware of it you start seeing it everywhere and it was really shocking to me uh, as someone who like really like I, I, I try to never throw away food and I always try to um, be creative with what you can do with like off milk or whatever mm. and, <laughs> and that was just something that you sort of had from from before that was the sort of just an interest food waste and, and being Which is how mindful East, about it. It's just it. how Eastern Europeans get raised, really, because okay. uh, um, my parents grew up in the Soviet Union, like, mm. they experienced rations, so you just don't waste food. Like, the, that's, you die if, just, you, yeah. if, you, if you waste food. Like, that was, it's don't still kind that. of ingrained. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think um, it, it's been a long time, perhaps, in the UK since, since there's been that kind of austerity, uh, whereas, like, my parents still remember that. I think it's probably another generation, isn't it? Most exactly. of us have got sort of our grandparents had that mentality. Exactly. But the sort of there's been a, yeah, it's a bit more of a wasteful culture, perhaps. Exactly. So um, to kind of get back to how I got into the business mm. by accident. So I, um, it was at basically at university that I had this mad idea when I was looking at uh, 
an old banana and its skin was obviously changing, tanning spotty, and I just thought, why can't our plastic packaging do the same? Like, I wonder if I could make... I just had this vision of, you know, a package turning crumply and all look, looking mm. terrible when you, you can't eat the food anymore. And uh, so I collaborated with... Uh, I kind of found a chemist on campus, a guy called John, um, who came into the university every Tuesday um, and asked him, like, what material can I use mm. that spoils at the same rate as food and might change its texture? Like, it was a tall ask. And yeah. honestly, other, other professors that I'd spoken to at the university, I got laughed out of a few offices. Um, but uh, this guy, John, he kind of took me seriously and he was mm. like, well, why don't you use um, a gel? Because gels kind of um, turn from a solid to a liquid. They liquefy, you know, mm. when they expire. Uh, and that, that's a texture change, or cha it's a phase change from a solid to a liquid. Maybe you can do something with that. So mm. this is when I started playing around and, and I was using gelatin at the start and found that, you know, you can, I can make a stronger gel or a weaker gel and at the same temperatures, they'll last different times. And I'm like, well, that's like food. And I just had this idea that you can match this gel to um, the spoilage of food. And what I ended mm. up creating is a label that it's um, it kind of evolved from being the whole package mm. very quickly to yeah. just being a label, which was a lot more feasible. Um, but uh, I created the label that uh, it's smooth when the, f well, when the gel, which is mimicking the food, is fresh. Mm -hmm. um, and then it turns bumpy when um, the product spoils and what's happening inside is you've got the, um, the solid gel and it's always covering a series of ridges. And then, so that's why it feels smooth. And then when the gel spoils, you can actually, like the gel you breaks. You can feel the ridges. And you okay. can feel the ridges underneath, which is how the like, texture appears in a way. So uh, yeah, that was the original concept. And I was like, right, degree's done. Yeah. Thank you very I'm much. Off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a really fascinating idea. It's, um, I mean, when you, you took it to, to those initial professors or you know, initial people who sort of laughed the idea off, I mean, were they, do they think there was sort of no feasible way of doing it? Or were they just seeing lots of problems, lots of sort of issues actually making it a reality? Or do they just think, there's, well, there's no way? I, I think they just mostly were confused why I was even doing this. They were like, everyone else is designing furniture. We're <laughs> <laughs> on an industrial design course. This is a science project. And I'm like, well, no, this, this information affects everyone. It is a design problem. Like, mm. it, it, we, it, the system was designed and now it's due an update because we're wasting so much it's clearly not working mm -hmm. and it's excluding some people altogether from from uh, its use so um I, th I think that was the main issues they didn't want to spend the time pondering with me mm -hmm. but that wasn't that wasn't everyone like i obviously had some very helpful um, teachers um, that helped me with this so i mean the, lots of questions sort of you know Kind of rush in, but I suppose a few of them. One of the first is that you know obviously food food spoils at different rates, and and um, there's no sort of not what. How how do you match? And you you sort of mentioned matching the gels, matching the the um, labels to the food contained within it. How how does that work? Is it based on the shelf, the expected kind of shelf life, say, of of the food, or does it actually model the food that is in it how do, I'm not sure how, how does that work so we're not sensing anything we're, the, mm. the label and the food are they're not di in direct contact yeah. um, we're actually modelling 
uh, and mimicking mm -hmm. the way that the food is spoiling, which is why the company is called Mimica. Yeah. Um, uh, and what that means is that we take the shelf life testing data from the food manufacturer, right? Uh, uh, which shows actually like, you know, when bacteria arises and that sort of thing. And then we, we create, um, we create the same spoilage characteristics in that gel to behave exactly like this specific food. So we actually um, formulate specifically for each type of food, which is what makes it so accurate. That's, that, that was, I suppose, what I was wondering whether, because, you know, if you just said, well, it'll, it'll be X amount of weeks, that's what this label will degrade over. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's really, it's very interesting. So we know basically at the start what the um, bacterial load Mm. Um, it's it's going to be, and so we know that if it goes up to like, if it stays at fridge temperature, and then if it goes up to um, twenty one degrees, um, actually, what will be happening to the food, and therefore we can actually model the same uh, in, in the gel because mm. we know what that starting point is. I imagine it's got a huge sort of safety angle to this. In that, you know, if you've got a a date label on a package of food. But it sat outside of a fridge for an hour and then put back in. You, mm -hmm. you don't you don't have any clue of that based on the on a standard date label. But with this, I take it you would. This would this would spoil because of that change because of the temperature because of the environment. Exactly. So anything that would affect the food is mm. going to affect the gel inside our label as well. So mm -hmm. um, so actually it works both ways. So in most cases we expect that will enable people to use products longer than they thought they could previously because mm. we're kind of exposing how much longer food lasts than the, um, the way that the data is calculated today, mm -hmm. which is, has a lot of like room for error built in. Um, but in some cases, um, you know, you're having a barbecue and you've got your sausages and burgers and mm. you know, you've got some juice out as well. And, um, actually that those products are, are not going to last until the date stated because you've left them out in the sun all day and, and uh, our system can work to to actually warn you as a user uh, to actually maybe mm. not consume that those products if they've uh, you know been temperature abused mm. how hard has it been to to go from that that idea and from this sort of prototype um this prototype version to sort of something approaching a commercial product because you're you're sort of close to launch now aren't you and that's, that's right but i imagine that's quite a quite a big journey to get there from from that initial idea even yeah. with you know even with the sort of technology and being able to model foods and match them and all those sorts of things i mean how how what have the hurdles been to get there? Well, I'll say first that I never intended to turn it into a company. Well, yeah, that, yeah you said so, it was an accident. So, so what? Um, I, well, just before graduating, actually, I had uh, some leftover scholarship money um, from the James Dyson Foundation. And um, I decided to spend that money on filing a patent. Hmm. Um, not because I actually thought that I was going to do anything with it, but because I had some leftover money and it'd be nice to learn something about intellectual property, just hmm. something new to learn. I'm always, I love learning new things, mm -hmm. so it was more of a kind of learning exercise. So I do that and then at my final degree show, there were some uh, technology kind of scouts and uh, people in looking for interesting things and um, I got some interest there and people were like, oh, have you protected it? And I'd filed a patent and mm. I, I told them that already, and, but not because I was going to do anything with it. And they were mm. like, oh my gosh, you, like, this is something that the food industry is looking for. So 
actually entered the idea into something called the James Dyson Award again, just to, mm. you know, why not? Was this, um, this was the UK one? It's an international, okay. it's an international competition. Mm. Um, and then uh, I actually, because I was kind of, I, I, people were starting to become interested in what I was doing with this, but like I was, I was interested in starting my design career. So mm. uh, I started doing an internship um, and uh, in the second week of my internship, I got a phone call um, telling me that I'd won the UK uh, James Dyson Award, which uh, was incredible. And, yeah. and suddenly uh, the press team did a really good job of getting getting the story uh, in newspapers, magazines. I was uh, on TV, I was on the morning radio. Um, it was just really everywhere. And, and so retailers and food producers start getting in touch and making meetings and asking whether we can do a pilot. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, this, this is literally this is just, this it's is... just an, it's just a concept. Yeah. Like I thought maybe you can match this gel to specific foods, but I've never done any work to actually start doing the calibration of that. Right. But, um, you know, they, I kept being invited to all these meetings and, um, so I just decided to just see what happens if I actually get back in touch with, you know, some some of these consultants that I mm. met at my degree show and started writing my first grant applications. We won all of them. Like and I was like, wow, there's people really wanting to really do something about food waste and they think that my technology could could solve that. So it was kind of one step at a time, like, oh I'll just go to this meeting, oh I'll just get this money, oh crap I've got, got this money, this money. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, suddenly I was talking to my friends and I was like oh well, my internship's ending and I haven't had time um, to apply for anything else um, because I've been busy doing this thing and they're like what are you talking about this, this is your thing and mm. I didn't even have it in my head that I was also yeah, this al- is, no, this already is just something I'm doing while just, I yeah I don't know it's just fun going to these meetings right just yeah. having retailers say nice things about yeah, yeah. your invention so but they were like, no, this is your thing. Like it was actually my friends who convinced me that I was actually indeed starting to run a company. Yeah, so, you just haven't noticed. And, but you're... And, and basically it's been that like one step at a time. So then I had enough, I pieced together enough money to make my first hire. And then we started a lab partnership with the University of Chester, which has been uh, fantastic and so valuable, but much better than us trying to set up a lab on our mm. own. Um, and then that so takes that, us has to, that been to do things like calibration and kind of take the all the lab that, work that, has been yeah. uh, all the lab research to take it from just an idea and a concept that might work to actually a product that works today. Mm. Um, that took a, a few years, and um, we're at the stage now where we're almost ready to launch, uh, almost ready to launch uh, into our first customers. Uh, we're doing our first kind of small, small production run mm-hmm. uh, next month um, in Wales, which is. Really exciting. Congratulations, um, so wow. I, th- I think f- big hurdles is like, this is a new area of science that no one's ever developed <laughs> yeah, before. I mean, there, there so, some, um, that's a hurdle. Yeah, yeah. and I, th- I, th- I had no idea it would take, so, like, I thought it might take months, not, not years, yeah. to actually get to this point. And, and raising enough capital for us to be able to do that was definitely, um, well, not really, it's a, it's a challenge because um, typical investors want to see like, oh, what traction have you already got? And I'm like, well, no, we need to like build a product first. But mm. um, there's, there's, I think a lot of investors are used to kind of software startups where like you can build a yeah. product in two or three months and then launch and, and then you've already got traction. And 
it's just very different with a hardware product, let alone a, like a science Some science product. Science, exactly, yeah. where we need to like look mm. and develop a new area, and you know, you run one test, and you can only change one thing at a time because that's how you do science. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that time has been uh, an interesting kind of uh, aspect of this, and then also um, educating people that um, actually reducing waste and, ex and extend extending shelf life in a safe way is actually going to be good for business for mm. for uh, retailers and food manufacturers because there's this narrative in in the food industry that actually waste isn't a good thing and it's good for the bottom lines and and we um it's been really interesting kind of doing running studies and and pulling the data together to show that's actually not the case because when you um, extend shelf life, uh, for example, your in-store waste will go down because you're actually going to sell the products that are on shelves, and, mm. and that's good because you then don't have to pay for waste management fees. Or um, when you extend shelf life, your consumers appreciate you as a brand because you know they they weren't wasting your product at home, and they're going to be more loyal to your brand, and that has a financial uh, value to it. And mm. it's been shown that when you extend shelf life, people buy more as well because they see it's going to last until the end of the weekend, so they'll buy. A larger pack size or they'll buy two when they were going to buy one or one when they weren't going to buy any at all so um, and is that argument sort of getting getting through to the is it retailers that you were sort of having to have that with it's actually food manufacturers so that's an, another mistake mm. uh, that I made at the start I really thought that retailers were my customer because that's the companies that were reaching out to me after all this award they were the ones who stuff. wanted this yeah. kind of trial and yeah, they're, they're the ones who were having a conversation with me, so I imagined that they would be my customer. Yeah, but, but that it just hasn't turned into. No, into in, ter that. in terms of our business model, it doesn't yeah. make sense that the retailers right. are customer. Like they're mm. still very interested, and it's important that they're interested. Mm. But that's not who, in the end, we need to sell to. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I had to really understand how the like food retail industry works. And uh, actually, after I spent all this time, like a few months, convincing the retailer this is a good idea, and they were like, "Great." Let, I can't actually do anything about this. Let me introduce you to our food suppliers. And then mm. I'd have to start again. But actually, I should have been investing that time into building a relationship with the food supplier, who is mm. actually our customer, who is going to be doing the work of putting the label on and, mm. and paying for the label, basically. And, and then it just goes through into the retailer. And the, the retailer just accepts on pallets whatever yeah. they get. And it's actually, they don't really get a say whether or not it has our label on it. Mm. If that makes sense, it's actually the food brands that we need to work with. And they, for them, I mean, there's. So I, I suppose I, I thought it made it would make sense that the retailers would be the customer well, as well. So when I read, yeah, exactly. I mean, it kind <laughs> of that, so it's a really sort of it seems logical. But they, so the producers, um, do they? Is there a sort of cost-saving element of it to them? Because I mean, I know sometimes particularly big supermarkets can sort of push their unsold things back onto food producers i wondered whether that was part of the appeal for them if there's less wastage is, is that kind of what's exactly driving it exactly so um making sure that as much as what gets produced by the food producer actually gets sold is, mm. is a very important thing for food producers yeah. and also anything that would um help differentiate their brand as well it is a, it's a huge play for them because, um, I mean, especially in, in kind of standard kind of product areas such as dairy and meat and that kind of thing, there's actually mm. very little to differ, uh, differentiate. So um, 
brands that want to say that you know we care about sustainability we care about innovation we care about food safety and looking after our customers like they're the ones who are going to get picked in the end and and mm. um, we can see that happening with anyone that innovates uh, in the food industry because um, there's a lot of innovation happening in kind of more exciting categories mm. like um, confectionery and, and juices and that sort of thing but like in those kind of more standard um, product areas there's actually not very much and um, it's, it's anything that you can do to do something a bit different and yeah. show that there's like a purpose behind your company and, and what your brand stands for people are really going for that because they care about sustainability and ethics and mm. and, and social issues um, and, and they don't want to be wasting food themselves is um obviously the, the sort of inclusive design was the sort of driver or the sort of spark of, of this idea. I mean, is this, and obviously it is a sort of just the inclusion is kind of built into that. Has the, has the uptake with the um, blind community, I mean, is that still, are they still engaged in, in this? Or is, is it sort of very much about food waste now? Or are you sort of, um, is, it, is it kind of both targeting both things? I think it's very important that um, we mostly talk about the thing that's going to affect most people, which mm -hmm. is in this case, um, reducing food waste, improving food safety, that's kind of universal, mm. without losing sight of the reason why we started it in the first place, which is enabling people who previously couldn't to make use of useful um, real, like uh, food information. So um, as we get closer to launch, it, it makes more sense for us to do some more productive work with uh, engagement with um, uh, visual impairment charities and, mm. and organizations to ensure that we do that extra step of, of making sure that we run like some workshops explaining like that this is products going to be coming out this is how you use it mm -hmm. um, so this is something that um, I'm personally very passionate about making yeah. sure that we do um, when we launch but um, you know we need to get get to over that line first before we can do any of that work otherwise people are always going to be wondering like well, where where is it where is it so it hasn't made sense to um you know be doing work with uh visual impairment charities like no like you you, know, you've got plenty single, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, just, and 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 it is you know it is an inclusive thing like you said that sort mm -hmm. of that you just that's what it is but it's uh but i mean in, in, in even you know when i had this idea at university like for design work and, and working with with um potential users and customers didn't end there like throughout the whole design process as as the product has developed um from uh, a label and now we're, we're actually going to be launching a smart cap uh where we've integrated the same technology into a bottle cap we've we've worked with um uh, very closely uh, with potential customers and users of this product to make sure that we're getting everything right to, down to the point of like the graphics that we use mm. on the label making sure that it's clear to use so often I, my favorite test is I just put put it in front of someone who's never seen it before and I'm like tell me what this is mm. and how you use it um, uh, and, and if it doesn't if they have no idea then we've done a bad job and um, I think it's a bad idea to make decisions like this in a conference room when you, you've you just been staring at the problem for too long and mm. it's so useful and, and vital to get that kind of constant feedback from the outside world basically and, yeah. and that's very much how we've how we've how we do things at Mimica. The bottle cap you and you you said you you're launching that and you kind of you know showed a showed a prototype 
off camera before, but um, that had a sort of step where you activate, mm -hmm. where you activate it, which is sort of, I thought was really, well, it kind of got me thinking as well, because the other label is, is sort of a label on the, on the package, which doesn't have any contact with the food at all. Mm -hmm. So when they're opened, does that, does the label sort of still have an, can it still be trusted in that when things are open or is it sort of up until the point of things being opened, it will mimic what's inside it? So because our label isn't in direct contact with the food, we either are modeling a closed life scenario or mm. an open life scenario. Right. So uh, in the case of our uh, new cap that we've developed, which as soon as the consumer twists the cap open for the first time mm. um, and the mechanism inside knows that it's, the package has been opened, obviously what's happened to the food is that oxygen is now getting inside and maybe a little bit of bacteria and, mm. and just the spoilage is going to be so much quicker after you open it. But we're modeling for that because we know that oxygen and bacteria have mm. gotten inside and so we're modeling from that point. So it's still a really accurate model and it's still accurate to a few hours as with the closed life. Mm -hmm. um, but we think that particularly with um, the areas that we were looking at initially, which is dairy and juices, it made mm. it way more sense that we provide the technology in the format of a bottle cap rather yeah. than um, anything else. Mm -hmm. um, so I suppose the, the future, you know, you're kind of right on the... You've, you've developed this idea from, from an idea, from, from, from that point through all this, through this modeling, through, you know, and it's been this, this long journey to get to this point mm. and you're almost at the, at the point of launch. Um, you, you, you've recently brought on a, you've changed your team, I think, the team around you, you brought on a CEO um, specifically. Mm -hmm. And I think you said that was quite important to, to to sort of your future plans and to, to sort of setting things up the way they need to be. I mean, why, why did you, why did you sort of decide you needed to? Was there something that kind of prompted it or, and um, so why, did, why did you go that way? I didn't necessarily need to um, bring in a CEO. It wasn't that I was searching around mm. for a CEO because I'd had enough or I felt right. that I couldn't continue at the stage, but actually, and, the opportunity arised for a, a real expert in the food industry um, to become involved with Mimica as a business. So um, Lawrence Kaysen, um, who has previously founded many, many uh, amazing companies. Uh, first one that he did was um, he founded Greenspun, which is the, they brought the first recycled um, like fabric made out of recycled plastic bottles onto the market right. and um, uh, another one was uh, Living Aids which is they, they dropped the price of, of kind of wheelchairs and things like that to a third of the cost by changing the way they were manufactured so right. he's always kind of uh, throughout his career um, started a, a lot of ethical and social companies and the reason why he was particularly perfect for Mimica is his last company um, that he founded uh, was called It's Fresh. Mm. And they basically produced a piece of kind of active packaging, um, which is like a green and white stripy filter paper that you might find at the bottom of your pint of berries and mm. uh, or strawberries or, or, or fruit. And it actually extracts the away the ethylene that the fruit naturally produces which okay. is the ripening hormone so mm. by taking it away it makes um, berries and fruits last about two days longer and reduces food waste greatly uh, because of that so yeah. they were selling these kind of this kind of packaging technology that extends shelf life 
and the costs are very similar amounts. Tick, tick, yeah. Uh, about a, like you know a penny to which is very similar to our price uh, pricing, and, and Lawrence was successfully able to get this technology uh, into the top three retailers in the world, which is Carrefour, uh, Walmart, and and the uh, and Tesco, and mm. uh, they've done uh, for not, uh, like super well with it. And um, when so he exited the business two years ago uh, and was looking for a new challenge, um, he actually uh, uh, approached Mimica together with his CTO, who was also exiting the company, mm. and uh, they actually um, started to cons- like work as consultants with Mimica and very quickly. I just had the opportunity for, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just making this up, whereas I've got this opportunity for the someone who, who has a proven track record, mm. really cares about what we're doing at Mimica, and, and it's, when I asked, ex- would accept it to become our CEO, so why wouldn't I do that? Yeah, he sort of made all, you know, made the mistakes that you would, you'd have to sort of go through. Precisely. Yeah. So you just, you said... Um, and had contacts got, as well. Well, is, and if he's you know, got the experience of bringing those things to market, I mean, that's, that's got to be invaluable. Absolutely. You said you, his route with It's Fresh was into the retailers. Is that kind of was there a reason that it was sort of different? Food producers. Food producers. So you said you said it kind of went to Walmart and Tesco's and through the food he, producers. Through the food, same sort yeah, of route. Yeah. So, he's so got actually, that. it was Lawrence that when he came in, he uh, was like, he was like You're, "No, that, that's not the right." The retailers. We. They, turns out he made the same mistake right. at the start as well. <laughs> okay. He was like, "Nope, it's food producers. That's, that's who you're selling to." So I actually learned that from Lawrence. So. Well, there you go. He's, he's, I think uh, since he's come on board, even as at the start as a consultant, like we've just been doing, like we've been saved us a bunch of time just not doing the wrong thing, not going down the wrong avenues. Mm-hmm. Like us being able to get to this point of launching has has been way more efficient and less painful mm. since he's been on board, and and he's a fantastic leader as well. He really is amazing and inspiring everyone, and and um, I, I I mean we, I'm still very much involved in the company. Mm. Like I'm, I'm still full time at Mimica, but it's allowed me to work and also, um, I mean, I didn't enjoy being a CEO. I just, yeah. I'm an industrial designer who happened to want this thing to, like, I, I believe, I started a company not because I wanted to run a company, I started a company because I believed this thing that I'd created should exist in the world, mm. which, and as soon as you start a company, you're it's automatically a, a thing, CEO. It? it doesn't yeah. mean that I'm, I, I want to be a CEO or was I even a good CEO. I, I mean, I was fine, but like, Lawrence loves this is what that he does. Role. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it allowed me to actually spend way more time on, on uh, you know, the, the, the product and how we brand ourselves and the kind of outreach and stuff mm. that I'm good at and I enjoy and I actually enjoy. Because mm-hmm. um, at that point, I, so many times I was like, oh, like, I'm just going to, you know, do something else now. But changing my role uh, at the start of last year and having Lawrence step in, it's allowed me to just kind of take the time to also learn from him. Mm. And, um, and it's making me, made me fall back in love with my own company because I've created a role that I actually enjoy and, and I've been a lot more valuable for that company in my mm. new role than I, I, I believe that I was before. Is, is, the, is it a kind of, is there a title to it or do you sort of, you, I'm you kind found, of I'm you're the founder and director. And director. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So mm. it just means that I, my fingers are all in all of the pies. In all of it, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's actually formed into a far more of a kind of a co-founder relationship, if anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's how it, it feels like I just have someone to bounce uh, ideas off of and, mm. uh, and that sort of thing. And it's really great to have Lawrence in kind of, you know, with, with like you know, jumping in with both feet and, yeah. you know, and both of us really committed to, to uh, delivering our mission. 
Um, you said, really, I don't know, or maybe I said in the introduction, I think, you know, the, the mission for Mimica was to, um, to reduce unnecessary waste mm -hmm. in the food industry first. Do you, do you have other industries in mind or is it sort of, I mean, obviously that's, there's enough to keep you very busy in food, but Absolutely. I mean, do, do you have anything sort of, uh, you know, specifically, yeah? other industries that you, you would like to kind of look at? Yeah, I mean, we have such a huge opportunity here because actually anything that perishes, um, in theory, could benefit from the Mimica technology. So that's all food. Um, that's so things like medicine, that kind of thing. Yeah, pharmaceutical. So yeah. half of the vaccines that are administered in the world have actually lost their efficacy by the time they're injected due to poor temperature management. So right. It's just really shocking to hear, and, and um, I, I hope that with Mimica's technology we can help do something about that. So it's more that, again, we've just spotted that there's a problem here as well, and, and mm. if, if there's anything that we can do to help, we'd love to do that. Yeah. Um, but um, if, if someone's already solving that in, in pharmaceuticals, then that's fine too. But yeah, you know, but like our technology is that. At prob different problem temperature problems disposal, so um, well, we'd yeah. love to wherever it can help. We'd love it to be there. And this is so, so Mimica Touch has this. You know, you, you've got this sort of technology developed for for Mimica Touch. Do you have other Mimica lines kind of uh, are likely to kind of Certainly. use the same? Certainly, we have a, a lots of plans for what we can do mm. uh, in the future, and maybe not even you know touch base. That's been our first product, and mm. the reason why actually the tactile, other than obviously being inclusive, the un unexpectedly the tactile um, element of the product, um, because we're not the first company to have ever thought about this problem before. There are mm. actually other uh, food spoilage indicators out there. All of them are exclusively color changing um, right. and unfortunately I mean wonderful technology but unfortunately quite an expensive technology to to produce so to create a ch color changing effect you either have to use like smart pigments of some sort or even printed electronics and it's mm. just to achieve that mass scale to make that mass impact like the costs are just prohibitively expensive whereas actually having this tactile interface and the, the gels that we're using are actually waste byproducts from the food industry mm. and uh, it makes for a very inexpensive um, solution which is actually scalable like we're, we're going to be selling these uh, around a penny so so um, I mean does, does that um, sort of hitting a penny a unit does that sort of only happen at a certain scale or is that are you there at this point is that uh, that that will happen uh, pretty quickly, actually, but uh, it will have to be after a, a certain number of, of uh, units of, of manufacture. Mm. Um, certainly, our first production run next month, it, we won't, it won't be making be them. <laughs> it, we won't be making them for a penny each. Sure. Probably more like you know a hundred pounds each. Yeah. But because we just don't have the scale yet, we're just making enough to like to test on. Uh, Get the proof. Etc. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So. Um, but certainly when, um, uh, as soon as we have our first like customer of a meaningful size, mm. we'll be able to hit that price point. And, and we've been able to do that by staying lean, like we're not going to be building a Mimica factory. Right. We're going to be using external contract manufacturers who already have that capacity in the machines. So okay. that uh, allows us to, to be a bit more nimble and lean. We're going to start to sort of draw it to a close a little bit. And mm -hmm. I, I, what I 
tend to do at the end of all of well, what I do do at the end of all of these interviews is just ask a few more sort of general, slightly more quick fire mm -hmm. um, questions. Um, so I'll throw a few of them at you, and you can you can sort of see what you make of them. Sure. Um, so in the context of food, if I say success, who do you think of and why? Uh, my food heroes are the two uh, co-founders of uh, an amazing uh, solution called Olio. Uh, it's an app that allows um, uh, neighbours to share surplus food yeah. uh, with each other. I, I've been using it for ages myself and it's yes. such a, uh, a pleasure to know uh, Tessa and Sasha, Sasha. Who, mm. who, who, run, who run that. They're absolutely inspiring and um, they've done so well with it and I, I've learned a lot from them. Uh, but sort of have they uh, sort of advised you on this? I imagine they're kind of supporting. I've known them for a few years, actually. Yeah, they're, they're both uh, uh, very different people, actually, but, mm. but each like very impressive. And, um, you know, the food waste community is, is not super big. So, yeah, no, you kind you of run kind into of, like, each other. You hear other a lot of the names. So I've kind of, yeah, yeah they're, they're people great. I've heard of. I don't know, but yeah, oh, fantastic. Um, are there any sort of daily habits, routines, things that you have that, you know, have, that you attribute some of your success to? I would say that I, I'm quite obsessively resourceful. So uh, really at the start when I was just winning, you know, like 5,000 pounds, 500 pounds, like I, I really had to do something with that. And what I found is that um, to be able to make that go as far as possible, I really needed to like, get people on board with what I was trying to do with my mission mm. and get them to see what I was seeing with my vision. And then people are just willing to help put in their time, offer us some free office space. Mm -hmm. Just, it makes everything go further, you know, like with the lab partnership, you know, we, we need to step up a really good relationship. So I think you can get a lot done. Like people just kind of help you out at, at no cost pro bono when they just believe in what you're doing. Cause especially in this meaning-starved world, like as soon as you do something that's exciting and they, they mm. can see this, this might potentially change the world, they just want to help in any way that they can. And I think that's allowed us to achieve a, a huge amount. Um, and, and a lot of it, you know, sometimes we're not, we're not paying for. And, and for example, you know, when we were thinking about manufacturing, when we're sitting, setting up a lab, we don't own any of that. Like it's who can we tap into and use and so that we don't have to own those assets ourselves. So I hope to continue very running the company in that way. <laughs> obsessively resourceful. I like that. That's, yeah, that's very good. Okay, uh, another one. Let's, um, what is your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with food? Ooh. Um, well, bit of a boring but unboring one, but I absolutely love to travel and experience new cultures. I mean, that is kind of to do with food. Obviously, it always will be. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just can't get enough. I think uh, I feel very lucky doing what I do that I, I often do get to travel and, and do meetings all weird and wonderful places. So wherever I can, I do try to stay on and, and uh, make the most out of the plane yeah, ride. You must, you must be traveling quite a bit to food producers. I mean, that's... Exactly. That's... Like you just need to build that face-to-face -face yeah. relationship if you're going to be working with them. They need to be able to trust us. And mm -hmm. we just need, we also just need to physically look at their equipment as well. So, yeah. but um, uh, yeah, travel is a, is a good aspect of it. Uh, I'll ask you one more. Um, if, if you could pick up the phone and talk to your say 18 year old self mm -hmm. what would you say to her um 
don't study psychology. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good decision. Don't do that. Uh, no, but more kind of more seriously. Um, that uh, I, I think I've realised that you can actually achieve very cool things much earlier on in your career than I ever thought. You, you know, I think in my head, I never considered running a business as an option. It was very much like you go to university, you, you finish and, and then you work your way up the corporate ladder. But actually, um, it's it's so exciting to take one of your ideas forward and see if you can make a difference. Um, I mean, mm. you have nothing to lose. And if it even if it does fail, you've learned a hell of a lot and made a lot of contacts. And mm. I'd encourage any kind of person finishing school or finishing university to consider doing something out on their own. Yeah, take your idea and run with it. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Do you, people that are watching, would you like to kind of direct them to anywhere? If they wanted to find out some more about what you're doing or kind of stay in touch with you, where would you, where would you direct them? Um, so you can go to our website, which is mimicalab.com, uh, or we're quite active on Twitter. That's probably where you'd hear most of our updates on where you can find us and what we're up to. Thank you very much for your time. It's been, it's been really fascinating and best of luck with everything at Mimica. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you.